0: Chapter 43, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P. T. Barnum. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum, Chapter 43, The New Museum. Part 2 but before this plan could be put into effective operation an event occurred which is now to be narrated the winter of 1867-68 was one of the coldest that had been known for years and some 30 severe snowstorms occurred during the season on tuesday morning march 3 1868 it was bitter cold a heavy body of snow was on the ground and as i sat at the breakfast table with my wife and an esteemed lady guest the wife of my excellent friend, Reverend A. C. Thomas, I read aloud the general news from the morning papers. Leisurely turning to the local columns, I said, Hello, Barnum's Museum is burned. Yes, said my wife, with an incredulous smile, I suspect it is. It is a fact, said I, just listen, Barnum's Museum totally destroyed by fire. This was read so coolly and I showed so little excitement that both of the ladies supposed I was joking. My wife simply remarked, "'Yes, it was totally destroyed two years ago, but Barnum built another one.' "'Yes, and that is burned,' I replied. "'Now listen,' and I proceeded very calmly to read the account of the fire. Mrs. Thomas, still believing from my manner that it was a joke, stole slyly behind my chair and looking over my shoulder at the newspaper she exclaimed why mrs barnum the museum is really burned here is the whole account of it in this morning's paper of course it is i remarked with a smile how could you think i could joke on such a serious subject it was indeed too true and the subject was no doubt serious enough in fact the pecuniary blow was perhaps even heavier than the loss of the other museum especially as there was probably no bennett around who would give me two hundred thousand dollars for a lease but during my whole life i had been so accustomed to operations of magnitude for or against my interests that large losses or gains were not apt to disturb my tranquillity indeed my second daughter calling in soon after and seeing how coolly i took the disaster said that her husband had remarked that morning your father won't care half so much about it as he would if his pocket had been picked of fifty dollars that would have vexed him but he will take this heavier loss as simply the fortune of war and this was very nearly the fact yet the loss was a large one and the complete frustration of our plans for the future was a serious consideration but worse than all were the sufferings of the poor wild animals which were burned to death in their cages a very few only of these animals were saved even the people who were sleeping in the building barely escaped with their lives and next to nothing else so sudden was the fire and so rapid its progress the papers of the following morning contained full accounts of the fire and editorial writers while manifesting much sympathy for the proprietors also expressed profound regret that so magnificent a collection especially in the zoological department should be lost to the city The cold was so intense that the water froze almost as soon as it left the hose of the fire engines, and when at last everything was destroyed except the front granite wall of the museum building, that and the ladder, signs, and lamp posts in front were covered in a gorgeous framework of transparent ice, which made it altogether one of the most picturesque scenes imaginable. Thousands of persons congregated daily in that locality in order to get a view of the magnificent ruins. By moonlight, the ice-coated ruins were still more sublime, and for many days and nights the old museum was the observed of all observers, and photographs were taken by several artists. When the museum was burnt, I was nearly ready to bring out a new spectacle, for which a very large company had been engaged, and on which a considerable sum of money had been expended in scenery, properties, costumes, and especially in enlarging the stage. I had expended altogether some seventy eight thousand dollars in building the new lecture room and in refitting the saloons. The curiosities were inventoried by the manager, Mr. Ferguson, at two hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars. I bought the real estate only a little before the fire for four hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and there was an insurance on the whole of a hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and in June, eighteen sixty eight, I sold the lots on which the building stood for $432,000. The cause of the fire was a defective flue in a restaurant in the basement of the building. Thus, by the destruction of Iranistan and two museums, about a million of dollars' worth of my property had been destroyed by fire, and I was not now long in making up my mind to follow Mr. Greeley's advice, on a former occasion, to take this fire as a notice to quit and go a-fishing. We all know how difficult it is for a person to stop when he is engaged in business, and how seldom it is that we find a man who thinks he has accumulated money enough, and is willing to cease trying to make more. An active business life, like everything else, becomes a habit, and the strife for success in business, through all the changes of fortune and ups and downs of trade, becomes an infatuation, akin to that which spurs the gambler. Hence men often pursue their money-getting occupations long after the necessity therefore has ceased of course by wedding themselves to this one ambition they forego many of the higher pleasures of life and though they have a vague idea of that good time coming when they are going to take things easy and enjoy themselves that time never comes men who are entirely idle are the most miserable creatures in the world but when by arduous toil they have secured a competence and especially when they have reached a point in life when they are conscious of a waning of their vital energies we must admit that they are unwise if they do not slip out of active business and devote a large portion of their time to intellectual pursuits social enjoyments and if they have not done so through life to serious reflections on the ends and aims of human existence it is perhaps possible that notwithstanding the active life i have led I have after all a lazy streak in my composition at all events i confess that it was with no small degree of satisfaction that by this last burning of the museum notwithstanding the serious pecuniary loss it proved to me i discovered a way open through which i could retire to a more quiet and tranquil mode of life i therefore at once dissolved with the van amberg company and sold out to them all my interest in the personal property of the concern I was, however, beset on every side to start another museum, and men of capital offered to raise a million of dollars if necessary for that purpose, provided I would undertake its management. My constant reply was, lead me not into temptation. I felt that I had enough to live on, and I earnestly believed the doctrine laid down in my lecture on money-getting in regard to the danger of leaving too much property to children as i now had something like real leisure at my disposal in the summer of 1868 i made my third visit to the white mountains to me the locality and scene are ever fresh and ever wonderful from the top of mount washington one can see on every side within a radius of forty miles peaks piled on peaks with smiling valleys here and there between and on a very clear day the atlantic ocean off portland maine is distinctly visible sixty miles away beauty grandeur sublimity and the satisfaction of almost every sense combine to remind one of the ejaculation of that devout english soul who exclaims look around with pleasure and upward with gratitude at the profile house near the notch in the franconia range i met many acquaintances some of whom had been there with their families for several weeks. When tired of scenery-hunting and hill-climbing, and thrown entirely upon their own resources, they had invented a cell, which they perpetrated upon every newcomer. Naturally enough, as I was considered a capital subject for their fun, before I had been there half an hour, they had made all the arrangements to take me in. The cell consisted in getting up a foot-race in which all were to join, and at the word go, the contestants were to start and run across the open space in front of the hotel to a fence opposite while the last man who should touch the rail must treat the crowd of course no one touched the rail at all except the victim i suspected no trick but tried to avoid the race urging an excuse that i was too old too corpulent and besides as they knew i was a teetotaler and would not drink their liquor Oh, drink lemonade if you like, they said, but no backing out, and as for corpulence, here is Stephen, our old stage-driver, who weighs three hundred, and he shall run with the rest. And in good truth, Stephen, on a warm day especially, would be likely to run with the best of them. But I did not know then that Stephen was the stool-pigeon whom they kept to entrap unwary and verdant youths like myself. So, looking at his portly form, I at once agreed that if Stephen ran, I would as i knew that for a stout man i was pretty quick on my feet accordingly at the word go i started and ran as if the traditional enemy of mankind were in me or after me but before i had accomplished half the distance i wondered why at least one or two of the crowd had not outstripped me for in fact stephen was the only one whom i expected to beat looking back and at once comprehending the cell i decided not to be sold A correspondent of the New York Sun told how I escaped the trick and the penalty, and how I subsequently paid off the tricksters, in a letter from which I quote the following. Barnum threw up his hands before arriving at the railing, and did not touch it at all. It was acknowledged on all sides that the biters were bit. "'But you ran well,' said those who intended the sell. "'Yes,' replied Barnum in high glee. "'I ran better than I did for Congress.' But I was not green enough to touch the rail. Of course a roar of laughter followed, and the sellers resolved to try the game the next morning on some other newcomer, but their luck had evidently deserted them, for the next man also smelt a rat, and holding up his hands refused to touch the rail. The two successive failures dampened the ardor of the sellers, and they relinquished that trick as a bad job. But the way Barnum sold nearly the whole crowd of sellers in detail on the following afternoon by the old sliver trick was a caution to sore sides. So much laughing in one day was probably never before done in that locality. One after another succeeded in extracting from the palm of Barnum's hand what each at first supposed was a tormenting sliver, but which turned out to be a broom splinter a foot long, which was hidden up B's sleeve except the small point which appeared from under the end of his thumb apparently protruding from under the skin of his palm one weak brother nearly fainted as he saw come forth some twelve inches of what he had first supposed was a sliver but which he was now thoroughly convinced was one of the nerves from barnum's arm mr o'brien the wall street banker was the first victim when asked what he thought upon seeing such a long sliver coming from barnum's hand he solemnly replied i thought he was a dead man it was acknowledged by all that barnum gave them a world of fun and that he and his friends left the profile house with flying colors during the year mr george wood a most successful and enterprising manager had been engaged in enlarging and refitting Banvard's building on the corner of broadway and thirteenth street for a museum and theatre and wishing to avoid my competition in the business he proposed that for a consideration to be governed to some degree by the receipts i should bind myself to have no other interest in any museum or place of amusement in new york and that i should give him the benefit of my experience influence and information, and thus aid in advancing his interests, and in building up and carrying out his enterprise. His proposition fully met my views, and I accepted it. Without incurring risk or responsibility, I could occupy portions of my time which, otherwise perhaps, might drag heavily on my hands. My mind especially would be employed in matters with which I was familiar, and I might gratify my desire to assist in catering to the healthful, wholesome amusement of the rising generation and the public i should not rust out and moreover the new museum would afford me a pleasant place to drop into when i felt inclined to do so nothing in this arrangement compelled my presence in new york or even in the united states i could go when and where i chose and could continue to be as i hoped to be for the rest of my life a man of leisure which in my case and according to my construction is far from being a man of idleness while i was at the white mountains i received a telegram from mr george wood stating that he could not consider his list of curiosities complete unless i would consent to be present at the opening of his museum and i accordingly waived all my chances in any intended foot-races and hastened to new york making at mr wood's request the opening address in his new establishment august thirty first eighteen sixty eight End of chapter 43, part 2.